Hi everyone, welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint. And I'm Julian Taylor. And welcome to our podcast. In terms of some, some practical bits around there, Todd, um, who does the pre-job brief? Today, Julian, it's usually the craft workers, right? And we've invested a lot of money in training for them, right? So here in uh, Oklahoma, we call those tailboards. Um, previous job, we called them, uh, I'm sorry, we call them tailgates. See, I went. I already, already made a mistake. We call them tailgates here, but in the, my previous life, we called them tailboards, right? Toolbox talk, those sorts of things. And they might be led by the foreman or the supervisor, and you want to have engagement. You want to have conversation. I think the most important thing of anything I would say related to pre-job briefs is that conversation. But just know fundamentally, if you start to look at the hazards and the controls, and because they're not coupled together, you're going to get a mixed bag. And again, that's better than nothing, but that's not going to be you know, ultimately where we need to get to to prevent serious injuries and fatalities. But the craft worker, and again, they're the most knowledgeable of the work, but they may not have the the, the over, the, what's the right word? I want to say control. I can say control. They don't have the control over what the solution would be in all of those situations. The work's happening right now. I got a work order this morning I need to do. Uh, I'm out there. I'm on the job. Here's the conditions. Here's the environment that I'm in. Here's the procedure I need to follow. But there's certain aspects of controls that I need that I can't control, right? And so most continue with the work. Um, with the best thing that they can set up for the controls that they have available to them, which goes back to why we need to focus at task level and why that's so hard to come up with. Do you have a way of, um, I suppose, I've always had a bit of an issue with toolbox talks because, um, I, I mean, I've been asked thousands of times, can we have a signature to show that somebody's attended a toolbox talk? And, and, and my response is, well, all that proves is that they can sign their name. Um, and I suppose one of the interesting things I'm always thinking about is how do we know people have understood or, or really absorbed what, what's, what's being discussed? And I think that is the challenge. And that'll be an ongoing challenge, Julian. Yeah. It, it's part of your culture, right? It's part of your organization. It's part of a, how you're creating psychological safety within your organization where people can speak up or share their perspective and it's heard, right? Heard and understood. Uh, but there are and continues today a lot of emphasis around we'll do our tailboard, we'll do a tailgate, we'll do a toolbox, sign here. And if I show up, right, I'm coming in as the VP of safety, hey, Todd, make sure you sign this. And they might walk through a cursory, uh, but that'll be the extent of what it is. Um, and what you end up finding is a lot of the same things over and over, right? Because a lot of these work orders that they have, you think about the crews, well, I'm, I'm using construction as an example. It's pretty much the same every day, right? I mean, it, I mean, there's variations to it, but it's relatively the same. Uh, and so you see a lot of, you know, kind of pencil whipping of the process and going through and completing that. But if you can create really rich conversations around exposures and controls and be less concerned with the documentation of that, um, which we still get hung up on uh, a lot from an organizational perspective, I think there's more meaning in that um, and, and opportunities for us to move forward. So we could spend a lot of time talking about toolbox talk. I'm, I'm, la I'm laughing because you mentioned about the documentation. I had a bit of a light bulb moment the other week where I was talking to a safety professional and they, they were very obsessed around the whole 
reviews and and having the pieces of paper and and actually the thing that they'd forgotten was actually who needs to actually read that and understand it and put it into actually work in practice and that's the that's the critical bit isn't it is how do we make this something that actually changes the behavior so that people do things in the right way yeah i think there's that aspect and i think it's 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 a one and done right so here's my work order i'm gonna be out here for four i start it uh, i might be around all day i might be around for a week they'll do it and then they never go back and revisit that right and we know that conditions change and so a work order might be the same day today but i can absolutely guarantee 100 percent that no job is ever the same uh and no day is ever the same right which comes back to the validity of those tools and really what's more important is that conversation and what i would ask safety professionals to think about, and this is really simple to do, and a lot of safety professionals get hung up on this, and I struggle with it myself, um, is there is a lot of emphasis related to stop work, right? Stop when unsure, stop work authority. And most organizations have those. But when you go in and you're doing a safety meeting or having a conversation at the crew level, ask them when's the last time they stopped work. And what you typically hear is crickets, right? Not a lot of that is happening. And so how do you change that dynamic, right? How do you create that environment where um, we make it safe to stop work? And one is, you know, psychological safety, make it okay. Number two is taking a step back, reevaluating what are the conditions that are different than what I thought they were. Um, number three, and part of your pre-job brief, identify what conditions would cause us to possibly call a timeout or a stop work. Reduce the complexity with stop work because in everybody's mind related to stop work is, oh my gosh, I got to stop the job. It's going to impact production. I got to call my boss. Everybody's going to get upset about it. So that goes back to the thing. Make it very easy. Because when you start to break it down from there's probably a lot of times where they realize, hey, I don't have the right tools. I'm going to take a step back. That's a good outcome. And I think fundamentally to all of this and where I try to take the conversation and you can do this in a pre-job brief is what's the criteria here that we would have to have in place to start when it's safe. Right. And so what we have an opportunity to do is couple start when safe with stop work. And so every day, um, so I oversee the qualifications here at One Gas. And so we have a training center. And we're in a safe environment. We're in a classroom, right? And we're performing work that is simulations for what we would do in the field. We have a simulation city that simulate homes. We have areas where we can do leak detection, um, you know, find leaking, you know, um, do line locating, light appliances, you know, all the work that we would be conducting in the field. But every one of those days starts with the same conversation. And that conversation is around is what is the start when safe here today? We're in an office, but we're in an office, we're in a training center, we're in a complex um, that's relatively safe. But if we have to call 911, who's going to call 911? All right. So, Julian, you willing to do that? And so I make an assignment to Julian. Um, who here is going to get the AED and provide first aid CPR? We have a kit for that. Langdon, you're willing to do that? You're able, willing and able? Yes. 
I write Langdon's name down. I said, where's the AED? Now, these people are in classes for two and four weeks. They do this every day. But the idea here is to reset their mind to around, I have one control as a crew person, as a craft worker. I can create the environment that is safe for me to begin work. And so by going through those activities, uh, we can define, make those assignments. And when the event happens, it's not if it happens, when it happens, we can respond. And so that's an opportunity to shift that. So there are some things here that we can make the current process better related to our pre-job briefs. Those are just some examples. But ultimately, if we're going to prevent SIFs, we need to break it down to the task level and get to those specific and start to couple hazard with control and create the start when safe criteria, verify, validate it's present before you begin the work. And that's really starts to shift the dynamic uh, for SIF prevention. Are you seeing the start when safe? Because I think in theory, right, we all want or will start a job when we're safe. But actually what that really entails, meaning I've got everything in place, I have the controls in place, I'm comfortable with what's going, the processes are fine, you know, yada, yada. Do you find that that in actuality is a lot more challenging than people really realize? Or is it just that second thought of, I really need to be good. Yeah, I, I, I think it can create that opportunity, Langdon. I think this is where I would kind of separate the two from the concept of starting when safe, which is a good mindset to have, right? So think about the things that I control. Um, and again, I think what's critical here is you don't have to list those all out on a worksheet or put them into a paper piece of form and have, you know, Julian sign it or Todd sign it when they show up. You're thinking about those things, Right. But more importantly here, if you think about SIFs and the prevention of SIFs, I think this is where you have to be very deliberate on what are the two or three things that must be present before you begin the work. So Langdon, I think you've heard me share this analogy a couple of times. And the analogy I typically use with safety professionals and senior leaders is imagine you are going to jump out of a perfectly flying airplane. What are the two or three things that you want to make sure are present before that activity occurs? Because when I take that first step, that's non-recoverable, right? So there are a lot of things that I would want to be thinking about from a starting when safe perspective, like before I even get on the plane or when I'm on the plane and some things related to that, by the way, I would not jump out of a perfectly flying airplane. So I'm just going to say that up front. Uh, I'm with you. <laughs> but the idea here is if you think about what are the controls and you think about this aspect of critical controls, exercise involving careful judgment, I think about it from essential controls, basic, necessary, indispensable. What are the two, three, three things that if I take that first step, it's non-recoverable. When I say non-recoverable, I'm going to the hospital or I'm going to the morgue. And by simplifying that from a SIF prevention perspective and coupling controls um, at the pre-job aspect back to kind of creating those, those tasks at, down to the task level, you can start to come up with one, two or three things that must be present 
that everybody can understand and get around and doesn't become a burden to them. And what more important there is they're verifiable, right? So there's verification that can happen at the crew level. I'm a leader. I walk up. I can I can ask the crew, you know, what are the essential controls for this task that we're doing, right? Does it have the potential for a SIF? I you know establish that up front. Um, but if I have that, what are the critical controls? And I can verify those and observe for those. So uh, excuse me, essential control. Essential control is observable and verifiable. And so I think that's how it separates it, Langdon, from the current process of what's being utilized. So you can go through the questions and get yourself there. But that analogy around non-recoverable event and breaking it down to very simple two or three things is important. Now I'll go back to Julian's comment related to leadership, which is kind of you know where we started this conversation. What has to change from a leadership perspective if we're going through that mindset shift, right? So there may be a lot of other hazards that are present, um, NPP, wheel chocks, you know, you can name the gamut if you're thinking about a construction job. Um, not saying they're less important. Those are saying those are things that you do and take care of. But the things that are essential that must be present before I begin the work, those things are what I'm going to focus on. And when they're not present, I'll call a timeout and we'll reassess as to why not. And I won't treat that as a negative outcome. I'll treat that as a learning outcome, right? So that's that shift in focus where blame fixes nothing. How did we get to this point? What do we need to change? Is there something I'm doing as a leader? Or is there something as the organization that's doing uh, that created this environment to move forward? And what you typically find is, again, back to the comment related to the employee. I don't, I've yet to find employees that deliberately want to go out and hurt themselves, right? Is there's usually something operationally or organizationally that we're not creating the environment. For example, if Julian's crew didn't start that work, what was my response to that? Was I creating a, a psychologically safe environment to understand why and fix the what? Or was I focused on Julian and the crew and the who component of this and why didn't you guys do that? So we have to change how we communicate and how we talk to our crews uh, in order to do that. The second part of this is, which is a leadership change, is thinking about how do we embrace start when safe, right? Do we reinforce that? Do we share those stories more broadly? Um, do we share those successes when we didn't start the work because controls were, weren't present? So you can create videos, you can memorialize this, you can do a lot of things related to that, but you want to share those stories. And the biggest failure leaders can take is, well, sorry, Julian, your crew didn't do this, but I'm going to call language crew. I know they'll get this done. Right. Yeah. And now I'm going to shop it to someone else that's going to do the work. Um, and you've eroded all that trust within that process. So, that's kind of how you would evolve that, I think. I was going to say, I see two real dangers, and 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 I'm obsessed about leadership, Todd. It's the thing I talk about all the time. And, and actually, it's those unconscious behaviors, those unconscious things that leadership do sometimes, like you've, you've just talked about there, swapping one crew out for the other, or even just the things they say that then will define whether people do things in the right way. Do, will, are, they, are they comfortable putting their hand up and saying, stop? Or are they going to go through that safe start procedure? And I think the other, I suppose the other big danger in all of this, and you touched upon it earlier, is just complacency, isn't it? Is we rock up, we do a very similar thing every single day. We think we know what we're doing. There's a danger then that we don't consciously go through that safe start procedure. And I think to to add to that right quick, 
and I think it goes perfectly. I wonder how do we ensure that we, I guess maybe it's focus on what needs to be focused on, meaning like your critical controls, the, you know, the essential aspects versus just the, oh, I've reviewed my JHA today. I'm good to go. You know, that, I think that's a, that is a difference of a complacency or whatever. Well, and I think it comes back to, um, and I'm going to challenge you guys, I'm going to challenge the, the viewership on the word complacency. Because I talk about this a lot, and it comes back to the aspect of mistakes are normal, right? And I would use the example that we're all really familiar with uh, and probably experienced in the last four days. Maybe not in the UK, because you didn't have a holiday in that four-day period, but those in the U.S. certainly had a holiday. And that's, you know, you're driving down the road, and you've you've gone 30 or 40 miles or kilometers, um, and what did I just, what did I just do? What did I just cover? Right. Um, and what, when you say the word complacency from a leadership perspective, you're, you're making that seem like it's a choice. And what I would suggest is that's not a choice. That's, that's, that's an error. That's a mistake, that's something that just happens. It's human nature. Right. And so it goes back to how do we create the environment where those conversations become really, really important. And that's where I go back to Langdon is simplifying the process, right? So we want and know that the conversation is really, really important. But if I create it and support it through a kind of the check the box activity, I'm not doing anything with that information, I'm not talking about it, then it just becomes something else that's noise for those individuals and for those crews. And so we need to think about, this is another aspect that we're challenging safety people around is decluttering, right? Let's remove things. Let's not add burden to what the crews are already dealing with. And so from a leadership perspective, if I'm coming up with or coming out to the work groups and asking different questions, not did you do your tailboard today? Did you do your tailgate? Did you do a toolbox? Let me see that and start to talk up, talk about risk and hazard and controls and then start to talk about essential controls or what's the things about this job are really difficult for you to complete? Um, what's really hard to get or what's really easy to get wrong and what's really hard to get right from a leadership perspective you can start to change the conversations and bring the emphasis and focus back around so we have to be aware of the human element here right the mistakes are going to happen and we need to design and create systems and processes so that we can manage to that we can't prevent errors but we can prevent error likely situations and so that would be one of those examples where different conversations and how we're utilizing information could start to lead to better outcomes. But just know that it's not complacency. It's just humans, right? We're thinking. We're focused on, hey, I got two more jobs to create today or get to today, and I got to get this one done. But I'm thinking about, okay, I'm going to wrap this one up and I'm going to get to job two, and then I you know, slice my finger or something like that. That's human nature. Um the other thing, and you guys made an interesting comment um, related to kind of the conversations, and I want to go back to it. I think it was the language piece here, right? The language that we use as leaders. I don't think we really think about the words that we say as much as we should. And it's probably something where we should record some of our conversations. Like, we're going to have this recording, and I'm going to like, I'm going to be back reviewing. I'm like, oh my God, I said that. But it's the idea here that I don't think any of us have negative intent, right? Right. So if I'm a foreman, supervisor, leader, my focus on getting the work we have done ahead of us today. 
And I come back to a, a conversation I was having with some crews. And I think that's important to go talk to your crews, the people that do the work, the people that at the sharp end of the stick um, to understand really what's happening out there so we can learn and improve. Um, but, but in those conversations, and I think we got onto the conversation around um, safety specifically, and do you have the tools to do the job? Um, and, and someone raised a comment that I never had heard before, but has really stuck with me. And this is probably six, seven years ago I heard this, maybe even longer. Because um, we were talking about the aspect of, of, of the work. And, you know, it was around the idea of how many, you know, about how many work orders can you get completed in a day? And the average crew in this organization was about three work orders a day. And I said, is that manageable? It's like, it's manageable. We can do it safely. We can do all the things we need to do. And I said, so how is that working? It's like, well, it's interesting. We're, we're facing some challenges, which most organizations face. And every day when the work orders are handed out, we each have five to six that we're asked to complete. Knowing that the last five years, we've been able to average three. And so what that leader is saying is like, hey, try to get the work order four or five or six, and that'll be a good thing for us. We'll get caught up. We won't be so far behind. I don't think there was any ill intent there, but that became the normal practice, right? And so that messaging wasn't verbal. It was nonverbal, but it was creating that environment that could lead to rushing or short short, uh, uh, you know, short uh, citing some safety elements to get the job done so I could get to work order four or five. And if you don't have an organization that's psychologically safe and you can challenge that process, you're going to get crews that come in and new leaders within those crews that will be like trying to get four or five or six done today because those individuals will be rewarded for that typically and be recognized for that. So. I think it's really interesting, Todd. I mean, I love talking about communication. I think it's a fascinating subject. And I think that whole sort of thought around the tone of voice that you use, the words that you use, and you think you've you've said one thing, somebody's heard it completely differently. Um, we, we record a lot of we record a lot of conversations in our business and review them with people. And yeah. it's fascinating when they listen to themselves talking and the reaction to did I say it like that? I didn't mean that. Yeah. Right. Um, I didn't mean that. Or yeah. I, wow, you heard that. And this is what my intent yeah. was. This is what I was saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Really important. I'm just um, really conscious of the time, Todd. We could sit here and talk all, all day. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think we're going to have to get you back and do another episode. I have one last question that's burning for me. Yeah. I love the idea of your round table. Yeah. What, what, what's, what do you do with the output from that round table? Is that information that you share to the broader world or is it just you keep within, within the people who've taken part? You know, Julian, I get asked that question a lot and um, we purposely keep the group small uh, because yeah. there's, there's a lot of organizations that are doing SIP prevention, but to the earlier comments, not a lot are doing them well. And what we've created here is a community that can share and really talk about what's working, what's not working. And we haven't taken things publicly um, because of, you know, we're not out to, we're not out to generate anything from that. Right. I mean, there's certainly conversations we've had 
related to how do we share this insight more broadly. And we're starting to have some more conversations there because there is a tremendous amount of uh, brain power. Is that a good word? Brain power within that room, right? A lot of success, but more importantly, a tremendous amount of failure that has happened. Uh, and that's that's something I think that we've all discussed around how do we share that and do it in a goodwill kind of manner, goodwill nature. Um, and so we're, we're, we're having more conversations there um, and uh, we're getting ready. We're actually gearing up for uh, our next round table. Um, and what I'm probably going to do between now and that meeting in November is you know, we had kind of five key takeaways. We, we talked about the one around um, uh, the pre-jabbery, so that was six. Um, but I, there's five key takeaways, I think, that just through the LinkedIn network kind of share with people and let that group kind of share perspective around, because I think those would be helpful for organizations. Um, and then what I would tell safety professionals in general is there there are uh, some really good networking sessions that are being created. Um, our partners at uh, both ASSP, American Society of Safety Professionals, uh, National Safety Council, and I think probably the one that is less known but probably has the most power sitting at the table from a global perspective is the Cum Community of Human and Organizational Learning, CHOL. And we've done some roundtables there in the past. So we're trying to think about how do we expose this to other individuals um, that, you know, are outside of that network, but some of that network participates in to share those things. And, um, so there are a lot of things out the long answer to your question, Julian, but I think we want to, we want to try to share, we're thinking about some ideas. We're just not there yet. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Cause I mean, I mean, I've, I've, I've just met you Todd and, and, uh, I mean, yeah. it's been a fascinating conversation. And I, I mean, like I say, we could carry on all day. And I'm sure there's a massive appetite out there for people to, to sort of hear the output and, and, and hear more about it. Yeah. I will tell you, the people on that group are way smarter than me. So uh, <laughs> if you're impressed with me, you would be super impressed. And that's probably what we need to leverage is, yeah. is, is those experiences more broadly. So good point. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, especially, I think just as we know, it is a, it is a different approach. To your point, there's a lot of stuff around SIFs out there. There's a lot of different perspectives on how it's been done, but just, you know, and I've known you for years and known different processes and then thinking about more recent things you've been working on and just discussions we've had. It is a totally, to what you said earlier, for a lot of people, that's going to be a safety professionals, myself, others. It's not always to say, well, I was wrong or I did this different, but we should really start thinking this way. So it is a different approach, which it's, um, I think there's a lot of good that, especially as we keep thinking forward yeah. for organizations, it's powerful. And if you don't mind, Langman, Julian, let me just put a finer point on that, right? So it's different, right? It's not necessarily SIP prevention. That's part of it. That's foundational, but it's operational learning. And I think what's different about it is really the aspect of, of from a safety perspective, you're helping, not doing, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of things out there from a safety perspective that you're asked to do. Uh, from a worker perspective, you're solutioning, right? So I'm now part of the solution from a craft worker. 
And now what I've empowered them with is not only this concept of stop work, which we put a lot of emphasis around, but I've really empowered them to create the criteria or through essential controls, verify the criteria is present before I begin work. And I support that from a leadership perspective. So that's different for the worker. And then the third one for leaders, it's a different conversation when you go out and talk to the crews and you're also now supporting start when safe. And so I don't think there's anything that exists today and I'm biased. I don't think there's anything exists today in the safety world. When we think about this aspect of operational learning um, that really combines all three of those together. And I think that's our opportunity why as safety professionals, we need to evolve and start to think about these things differently because we have the moral responsibility. Our leaders have the moral responsibility for keeping people safe, but it also creates an environment where everybody's playing a role to achieve that success. I think that's, that's a fundamental difference. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Love that. Um, is there anything with that? I, I appreciate Todd. I appreciate you joining. Um, it's been very, I mean, which I knew it would. I've known you for whatever now, 12, 13 years. So I knew it would be a very good conversation. Um, and I think uh, as we move forward, you know, definitely would love to have to have more conversation to have you back on because it is a, that summary to me, what you just said, that approach of why it's different, that little summary, it's, there's a lot to digest, you know, even with that simplistic avenue, yeah. that's really not so so I definitely appreciate your time and appreciate you joining. Jules, is there anything you'd like to say no, as we Todd, wrap no, it up? I, I think just to say a massive thank you, Todd. It's been, uh, I've, I've sort of, I was very quiet for the first part because I was just sort of sat here taking everything in. It was a, it was just great to listen to. So um, thank, thank you for your time. We will get you back. Maybe we have a two bald guy safety forum and we'll get some of your round table members on and we'll do a bigger podcast with a few people. So, That's certainly yeah. something we can do, Julian, and, and probably yeah. make it more conversational, too. I think yeah. Yeah. I spoke a lot, but I think there was I wanted to make sure we we're sharing some of those perspectives. But I think right. more yeah. Q&A may be an opportunity here. Yeah, yeah, that was excellent. OK. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Todd. For everyone out there, stay safe and watch your backs out there. Everyone, really appreciate you tuning into this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast or visit us at evotix.com. And if you want to see how follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube. If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and in the review section of this podcast, if you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great. And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days, about your normal lives, stay safe out there and watch each other's back. 